2: the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.
1: This is the Cork Today replay on C103.
3: Hopefully that brighter weather on the way this afternoon. But if you uh, are going out, uh, be prepared. It is a wet one out there. John Paul has taken your calls at 1850 We'd love to hear from you throughout the morning. Text or WhatsApp 86 Looking for your thoughts, please, on the second day of the nurses' strike and a strike that looks like we, we could be in this in for this for the long haul. Hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully something uh, will happen. The HSE straight out this morning warning that the hospital emergency departments are going to come under extreme pressure today and again on Thursday because there's two days of the INMO nurses strike action for this week. Patients have been urged by the HSE with minor injuries. Go to your local GP. I think GPs are going to be under uh, huge uh, pressure as well. But the idea is that you leave the hospitals for uh, leave the hospitals clear to serve patients who unfortunately will become very ill today and will need to get to an accident and emergency department. There, there's talks of about 50,000 people will be affected by the industrial action today and again on uh, Thursday. And that, of course, is adding to the 25,000 people that were affected by the first 24-hour stoppage, which was Wednesday of last week. 13,000 outpatient appointments roughly have been cancelled for today. The same will be, I imagine it's today they're going to start working on cancelling the Thursday uh, appointments and then there's about 2,000 inpatient and daycare patients They've all had their appointments cancelled and their procedures and operations cancelled for today, with I imagine the same going to be cancelled on um, Thursday. So there are a lot of people getting affected by this strike and you sort of were hoping yesterday that something would happen, that they would get around a table, that some kind of an olive branch might be passed from one side to the other side, what looked to be an olive branch came from the Finance Minister, Pascal Donoghue, and the Health Minister, Simon Harris. They called for immediate discussions at the Workplace Relations commissions. And you're thinking, OK, get a third party involved, get everybody around uh, the table. They said talks should focus on issues other than pay, including a safe staffing framework to improve staffing and patient outcomes and uh, to reduce the reliance on agency staff because the amount of money that's been paid on agency staff is certainly getting highlighted by the INMO. They keep saying there's a lot of wastage going on in the HSE. They talk about the money is there to pay the nurses and they constantly point to the amount of money that is spent on agency staff. So we had Pascal Donoghue, Simon Harris kind of flicking the ball back into the into the the to the ball back to the nurses and saying okay you're mentioning agency staff well come in, talk to us and we'll see how we can re- reduce the reliance on agency staff. And then the Secretary General of the Nurses Organisation Phil Nihay she rejected that olive branch almost immediately. She described it as one of the, and I quote one of the most cynical moves she has seen during a career of more than 20 years in industrial relations. The union leader described the talks that would not address the key demand for a pay rise as massively disrespectful to nurses, to midwives and to uh, patients. But what worried me the most yesterday was hearing that some patients who were scheduled to have cancer surgery today, they got a phone call to say that their appointments had been uh, cancelled. Now, several cancel cancer services are exempt from the national strike they were exempt last Wednesday. We were told they were going to be exempt today and again on Thursday. But then we started hearing yesterday that no, some hospitals were forced to tell patients that their surgeries are now going to are cancelled and are going to have to be uh, delayed. And there's one young woman from Balbrigid in Dublin who went public yesterday telling her story. And she was scheduled to have breast cancer surgery at the Martyr Hospital in Dublin today. And that's been cancelled. She's a 46-year-old woman. She's been diagnosed with invasive cancer. She was diagnosed last month, scheduled to have the operation today. Gets the phone call today to say, no, sorry, that's not going ahead because of the nurse's strike. She's obviously extremely worried now at the delay. And what's even more worrying for her... They weren't even able to give her a rescheduled date. So she does she can't even focus and say, Well, at least this time next week I'm going to go in and have the operation. And she's been living with that diagnosis diagnosis, a diagnosis of an invasive cancer since sometime last month, but focusing on this date of the fifth of February, and I'll have my operation and then hopefully I'll be on the the road to uh, recovery. So your heart would have to go out to patients like that and see if there are other patients that have come to light. Cancer patients, when we were told cancer patients wouldn't be uh, affected. Uh, And yet it really does look like the mood has completely soured between both sides. When you see and hear Phil Nihay from the INMO saying, that what was offered by Pascal Donoghue and the Health Minister Simon Harris was the most cynical move and was massively disrespectful to nurses. That does not bode well for either of those sides getting around a table and uh, sorting it out. So your thoughts and comments on the nurses' strike? Where do we go from here? What is the solution to this problem? Is it a case of just pay the nurses, give them what they want Let them get back to work. Let them get back to do what they do best. And that's, you know, looking after uh, patients. Is that the way to go? Are are you with the government who are saying we can't, we can't afford to do this? Even if we could come up with the, I think it's 300 million euro, I think is is how much it would be to pay the nurses, the 12.5% pay parity that they're looking for with physiotherapists and, and other grades. So 300,000, if they were to find it and come up with it, the knock-on is what the government most fears. Because I'm sure if they went looking, they probably could come up with the 300 million. They seem to be able to come up with the extra money for the children's hospital. So they could find it somewhere. But it's the knock-on pay claims that the government say that they're, that they're fearful of, that they won't be able to afford. And it's the knock-on pay that they'd have to come up with that could bring this country to its knees Particularly at a time when, okay, you if you were looking yesterday, we heard that the tax returns for January were particularly good and there was a you know, good tax returns after Christmas, that in particular. People seemingly went out and spent. So there is money in the economy, people are back at work. There is a bit of a feel good factor about the economy, but What's looming is Brexit and nobody knows what's going to happen with Brexit. And indications are if it's a hard Brexit, we are going to face into another recession. So at a time like that, are the government right to be prudent, not to be spending needlessly, hang on to everything we have? We don't, we certainly don't want a recession like what we had the last time. Can the government afford to pay public servants more with that kind of bad? news and that kind of veil of Brexit hanging over. So are the government right to be playing tough? Because they certainly are playing uh, tough. Where, wh- What is the solution to all of this? It has to end. It will end. These disputes always end. But how long is it going to go on before it ends? And then while we wait for a solution to be found, we have that 46-year-old woman in in Dublin waking up this morning on a morning when she should have been having her breast cancer surgery. And she now doesn't know. She knows she has an invasive form of cancer, but she does not know when she's going to get an operation. And a delay in an operation for an invasive cancer, what's her outcome going to be like? It's the knock-on effect for patients uh, you can't help but worry about them. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Your thoughts and comments welcome welcomed. We will speak with one of the nurses who's contacted us who uh, will be joining us from the picket line uh, this morning and it is from one of the community hospitals in the county. A nurse has, uh, will, will join us uh, later on and any of the other nurses who are on the picket line today who want to put across their point and solutions, possible solutions to this. How do we get them around a table, at even at least if they were around a table talking, you'd take some comfort and some hope from maybe something good will, will come out of today. But the fact that they're not even talking really worries and distresses me. 1850 Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 And you can email the programme Patricia at c103.ie. Also on the programme this morning we're going to hear a proposal that could eradicate poverty In this country, that's got to be listened to, anything that could get rid of poverty, even though we're back to near employment in this country, we still unfortunately have a lot of poverty. How do we get rid of that poverty? Would we ever see a day when we could have poverty completely gone from this uh, country? We're hearing about a problem with seals in West Cork. This is a front page story that is on the Southern Star newspaper. This week from uh, West Cork and, and talks of and mention of a cull of seals. And I think because of the nature, seals are just they look like such gorgeous, placid animals. Anybody hates the idea of a cull, but if they are affecting fishermen's livelihood and if they're affecting the ecosystem in West Cork does something need to be done and and what's been spoken about so we're going to look at that on the programme and then we're going to hear about the fantastic work of the community first responders there is a day being organised later on in April to highlight the work of the Community First Responders, five groups are getting together in the North Cork area. So we're going to talk about what exactly they do and also the need for more uh, volunteers. And then we'll wrap up the programme with uh, Joe Heffernan joining us in the final hour of the programme. And today, Joe is going to be discussing negative thinking. Your thoughts welcome throughout the morning and you can always email patricia at c103.ie.
4: Still going strong Still You're still the
3: Beautiful voice of uh, Shania Twain on C103 and you are still the one. Our street fleet have just contacted us about a crash at Old Nagel's Garden Centre Cross on the Model Farm Road. Two cars are taking up one lane on the road. No guardie on the scene as of yet. And we've been asked to advise listeners in that area to proceed, proceed with caution. That's the Old Nagels Garden Centre cross on the Model Farm Road. Proceed with caution please and be careful there's a lot of surface water on the road out there today. You really do need to drive with extreme care. On nurses and day two of the nurses strike. uh, Dan by WhatsApp Good morning Patricia on the nurses strike and the inability of the government to deal with it. The politicians in place now all came into power during the downturn and during the time of austerity. During that time all they had to do was impose cuts, delays and taxes under the heading of the downturn. Now they have to negotiate and bring employees and the public with them. They appear to be lost and no other political party dares challenge them because they will all use the Brexit line. Things will get worse in my opinion says Dan before they get better because Dan feels that Leo and Pascal are out of their depth and not able uh, to deal with what's facing them at the moment. That's in from uh, Dan to 0862 John by text says, we appear to have recession all of the time, Patricia, because we're being robbed by the government some of your calls in Donny. This is on the nurses wanting pay parity with physiotherapies. physiotherapists. Dhoni feels that that's wrong that nurses shouldn't be on the same pay scale as physiotherapists. Now the nurses' argument is that they do an honours degree physiotherapist is an honours degree and a nurse does uh, an honours degree Dhoni says they're two very different honours uh, degrees. Look at the points you have to get in Leaving search to become a physiotherapist compared to the points that you would need for a nurse. Also, physiotherapists end up doing the work on their own. Nurses work under doctors and are told what to, to do. So you cannot compare a nursing degree with a physiotherapy degree, according to uh, Dhoni. Dhoni also feels that they're handing out degrees for everything. If the government give in to the nurses, they will then have to look at the entire public service. If If this was happening under the reign of President Reagan in the United States of America years ago, they all would have been sacked. And I don't know if that's what Dhoni is uh, calling for. Uh, John says, under no circumstances can the nurses receive this money. Can you please go back to what happened uh, when we lost the run of ourselves in this country? All of our civil servants were paid too much and then we hit a massive bubble. It all burst. And the walls came tumbling down and we ended up in a recession. Have we learned nothing from our past mistakes? Liam in Brough says, I feel there are too many nurses in hospitals. Yet if you ring looking for a glass of water in a hospital, it's not a nurse that will bring it. It'll be a care assistant. It's the care assistants seem to be the ones that do all the work at the moment in hospitals. And William and Mallow says the cost of the children's hospital is spiralling out of control and we seem to have the same situation with the events centre due to be built here in Cork City. William questions the fact that the same company is going to construct both the children's hospital and the cork events center that company being bam how much how come so much public money is going into this company and they seem to be a company that come back with extra costings after they get the initial contract does that not need to be? Questions. Okay, that's just some of your thoughts and comments coming into the programme uh, today. You can always email patricia at c103.ie and let me bring you one quick email in that came in overnight. And this was to do with potholes. When we were discussing potholes yesterday, and somebody was saying, Is it all the water on the road and water? that's on the road when a pothole is filled in, is that's what's causing the road then to crumble again and the pothole to reappear. Well, someone who is in the know is one of our listeners called Roger, who says, Dear Patricia, yes, all potholes are caused by water. What happens is that when water gets under the asphalt, now before water freezes, it expands at about four degrees Celsius reason for this, it prevents fishes from freezing in frozen ponds. When water gets under the asphalt in cold water and as it freezes, it will expand and then it will crack the asphalt and that's what causes a pothole. To avoid potholes, I believe that some sort of vertical barrier should be placed at either side of the roads to stop water seeping under the asphalt so that the water will not crack the asphalt as it freezes. Also, if asphalt cracks, because of the impact of some of some sort, water can then seep down the crack with the same result. I hope that this answers your queries and people, what people were asking yesterday. Thank you, Roger. A man in the know when it comes to potholes.
1: This is the Court Today
3: replay on C103. Now, Social Justice Ireland say... of the Irish population currently live at risk of falling into poverty and in their annual guide to a fairer society report they're calling for joined up thinking and a centralised plan from government to prevent any more people from falling into poverty Social Justice Ireland Chief Executive Father Sean Healy uh, joins me Good morning to you Sean Good
5: morning Patricia Uh,
3: And you are welcome You say our current economic model is no longer fit for purpose Explain to us what's wrong with it.
5: Well, if you take a situation uh, that the way we operate at the moment, and we have been operating for quite some time, we've been basically uh, depending on uh, or building our approach on the idea that if we get economic growth and get substantial economic growth, then everything else will follow. But uh, it's been quite obvious in recent years that while we've got the economic growth, the the actual performance on our social uh, in well-being indicators has been less impressive. So we've done very good on G- G- economic growth, but so we have a healthcare crisis, we have a housing crisis, we don't have rural broadband, uh, we have all sorts of other issues that uh, that need to be addressed. So what we're saying is that, that that's being even made more difficult by a couple of other things that are happening. When you look at what's going on in the way we're trying to generate economic growth, one of the things that we've put our Huge focus on uh, is on bringing in uh, multinational corporations to create jobs here. So, take an example. Say there's uh, a com- uh, Apple, Apple is in Cork. If if you decide that if Apple decided to put 1,500 new jobs into Cork in the morning, mm-hmm. it would be great rejoicing that we got another 1,500 jobs. Maybe half of those might go to Irish people. The other half wouldn't. So that means that the, about 750 people would have to come into Cork from abroad. Uh, they would be coming into high-class jobs or high-paid jobs. Uh, so, what would they want? What would they require to just basically exist? They have to get accommodation, housing, yeah. precisely. And Cork has a housing problem. It has yeah. a homelessness problem. And what happens in that context? They're able to buy. The, the new people coming in have a big enough income to be able to to, to 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 access the accommodation. But two things happen. One is that because the supply is not keeping pace with the demand demand is growing the price goes up so rents will go up the price of purchasing houses will go up and not just that but there'll be 750 people pushed uh, out of the system at the bottom because these guys will come in at the middle or top and they will push other people down and those people will not be able to access uh, the 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 new accommodation for two reasons one is that it's not there in the first place the second thing is that the price goes up now it's not just housing they also put pressure on your education system, which is already under pressure. Uh, put pressure on our healthcare system, which is obviously under pressure with the nurses on strike today. A very good example of it and the, of various other issues that are going on. But it would also put pressure on public transport, which is very much under pressure as well. And, and uh, sort of uh, So you, you can go through like a, a whole series of things of this nature and you say, okay, maybe we need to take a, a step back. Take a look again. Maybe we should be cultivating or trying to drive a job creation that focuses on people at home. We put a huge amount of money into getting people to come in from abroad. Maybe what we need to do is think in terms of, uh, of what do we need to do uh, to actually have a model that creates good, well-paid jobs at home. But And, and, at the and same focus
3: time, on people that are already at home available to do precisely. the job. Yeah,
5: okay. And also recognise that you, there are two huge uh, gaps in the current system that we have. One uh, is that we're in the, on the housing side. We're actually not uh, p- uh, providing anything remotely close to what's required to meet the scale of the problem that's out there. We've discussed this on this program before, yeah. Patricia. Your listeners have heard heard us on it, and like it's it's um, a, a real issue because. If we have a situation where the government is not uh, keeping pace with the demand, we have a growing problem, and that's what we actually have. Despite the plans the government has, despite the endless press releases, despite the endless talk and the endless numbers being provided, uh, uh, the reality is that we have a serious waiting list problem, we have a serious homelessness problem, we have... Uh, totally inadequate social housing numbers being generated Uh, that's the numbers of social housing units Uh, so there's a huge problem with social housing, with affordable housing uh, with the cost, with the the levels that rents are at. We need to deal with that issue and the only way to deal with that is supply, supply, supply increase the supply.
3: Yeah and I even saw there's a piece, there's an article in the paper today showing the cost of housing in Cork has increased by 20%. I mean we've a whole generation of young people who I'm never going to be able to afford to buy a house.
5: And that has that's absolutely true and that has a huge implication as we move into the future long term why because up to now Ireland's pension system has been based on the assumption that by the time people retire from their jobs that they actually have they actually own their own house or they're in a, a, a social housing unit Provided by the council or the county, the county or city councils, and um, are some, some other operation that uh, they have at a fairly reasonable rent. Now the result is that uh, we have we have taken we have approached pensions in that way. Now we're going to face into a future where a very large proportion of the people be, be coming up to retirement age in due course will not have. Ownership of the house. They'll
3: be in private rented accommodation.
5: They'll be in private rented accommodation, and then we have a completely different situation because, in, at the present time, uh, there's no provision in, for that in the pension system that we have, because there's an assumption that you own the house, and the only thing you got to do is keep it repaired. It's a different, God, it's, it's a different it's level it's, of expense. It's
3: almost a perfect storm, isn't
5: it? It is, and uh, I think there's some very serious issues that need to be. Done. And like, it's 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 not just like. It's it's got to be dealt with in a comprehensive, integrated way. That's why we were arguing for a for a five-year plan to eradicate poverty in Ireland, because there's a number of things you need to do at a different levels to make that happen. And one uh, and 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 it's not just uh, one-off things; it's the whole lot has to be done uh, simultaneously. One of the things that we're arguing very strongly about is that. Um, the things that come up, that happen and the things that come come at you if you like um they have to be dealt with in an integrated is, way simultaneously for example it 's no good increasing people 's pay- wages if at the same time you're not dealing with a housing issue you 're not dealing with a health issue you 're not dealing with a public transport issue. We have for years said i've worked on a model and an approach that says let 's get the economy going and then all the rest of it will fall into place, but the, all the rest of it doesn't fall into place. That's the problem. And it's very clear to Ireland now, looking at its experience over the last 15, 20 years. Um, the Celtic Tiger, first of all, and now this particular recovery that we have, which is very substantial in economic terms, but is quite poor in terms of social well-being indicators. So, we've got to make, uh, a, a, to step back and do a serious rethink on the development model that we've been actually following because without that, we're going to continue with the kind of level of problems that we have at the moment. Uh,
3: we would need obviously additional taxation. Where would you see that coming from?
5: Well, we have a, a range of suggestions for that. Um, by the way, uh, what we're talking about in taxation is very much about broadening the base, not increasing uh, income tax. For example, we're talking about broadening the tax base uh, and doing it in a fair in a, in, a, in a fair way. Like, so, it, for example, we we adopt policies which shift the burden of taxation from income tax to eco taxes on things like the consumption of fuel, fertiliser waste taxes, and very importantly, site value tax, because that's a, that's, a that's a much better approach uh, to, 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 to um, property tax than the current property tax. We've been advocating this for some time. Uh, at, at another level, what we would want to do is tackle the working poor issue by making tax credits refundable. That means that people can actually benefit from the full value of the tax credits they're entitled to. Now, at the moment, there are some people in low paid jobs who don't benefit from the full value, and the result is, of the full value of their tax credits, and the result is that they're in poverty, it's very capable. We can target money at them very clearly by simply changing the rules slightly to make them benefit from the full value of the tax credits they're entitled to. We actually do this already for... In big agreements on research and development with transnational corporations, but we're told you can't do it. We for can't the do it our ordinary, ordinary people. So
3: um, Sean, how, how worried are you about Brexit and, in particular, a hard
5: Brexit? I would be very worried about it because, and I would be worried about it beyond some of the stu- uh, stuff you hear in the in, in the news and that, of course, it's clear that if there's a hard Brexit, there will be a serious economic disruption. will take a serious hit the bank, the central bank, and anybody else who's done who's done projections on this, including the government itself, are all basically predicting a fall in, in growth of some percentage points. Now, if that means that means in effect that uh, there will be uh, more people unemployed, uh, there will be uh, less taxation collected. So you you'd have to kind of deal with the, the kinds of issues that happen. But there's another side to it as well. It, we've had a very bad track record when things go wrong, that very often it's the vulnerable who get hit the worst. They're the ones who get hit first. And that that continues, and if you take an example, even in the way we develop our country, we've, we 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 la- we don't have balanced regional development. So, for example, if you go down, if you think take out the the, the sort of Greater Dublin area, and maybe down some of the East Coast and that, the rest of the country um, got hit more in terms of losing uh, employment when the the Celtic Tiger crashed. Uh, So there was more loss of jobs in in rural Ireland and in sort of, not just rural Ireland, but the the whole of Ireland outside the Greater Dublin area. Uh, And uh, now that uh, that, that things have been hugely recovering, uh, the Greater Dublin area has actually recovered faster than the rest of the country. So the reality is that if you are living in West Cork, for example, yeah, uh, you're um you're you you were you were hit sooner and you recovered slower mm. than the than then the sort of uh way the 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 way the then to get what we need in effect is balanced regional development. Okay. And, uh, there, there's a and huge we're certainly of not d- seeing that. No, no. There's a load of lip service to it and we hear lots of stuff about it but when you look at what people do, what the government does, the decisions that they make, you don't find that that's okay. the situation and,
3: and And very finally and very briefly a listener wants to know would you uh, would you ask Father Sean uh, his views on, on the nurses? If you were in government today would you pay the nurses the pay parity that they're looking for?
5: Well, you see, the thing... The, the, uh, good just stay with in like what I've just been saying actually impacts quite strongly on this. The reality for nurses is that they're uh, struggling uh, to make their pay cover the expenses that they actually have in Ireland today. Why because Ireland has become very expensive if you have to rent accommodation or if you have to travel far. Uh, which uh, many nurses have to do both they have, to, they have long commutes uh, they're probably uh, in in a situation where they uh, where, where their housing and uh, their accommodation is costing them more than would be the european average likewise uh, they have other expenses uh, in the context of the services like health and education uh, that would be higher here than they are in a, in a much of continental europe where their peer Peers are are, uh, living, if you like. So I think that uh, again. We're not going to be able to solve these kinds of issues and they'll just keep coming back at us until such time as we take an integrated approach, recognising that we we need a, a vibrant economy, absolutely, but we also need decent services and infrastructure. We also need just taxation. We also need real participation and we need sustainability above all in what we're trying to do. So economic sustainability, social sustainability and environmental sustainability and all three are required. There's no point talking about the environmental Sustainability if what's being proposed isn't socially sustainable. You know, at the moment, like, there's a huge issue that Ireland is completely missing um, its climate targets, climate change targets, uh, and that we need to do something in terms of agriculture and so on. Yet, unless that won't happen, and that, you know, that won't happen in any serious way until such time, or any effective way, until such time as these other issues are dealt with at the same time. There's no point in going at the farming community and saying you must stop uh, rearing cattle or you must do this or that until such time as you're actually able to put together a sort of an alternative that stands up a new uh, sort of a revised economic model or a revised development and, model, and that economy and social.
3: That's back to where we started at joined up Christ thinking. Okay, we we'll leave it there. A pleasure as always, uh, Sean. Thank you for that and thanks Great for adoptive. joining us. Bye bye. Uh, social much. Justice I'm Ireland, uh, Chief Executive for the Sean uh, Healy. Uh, coming up next, a problem with seals in West Cork. Now, this week, Southern Star is leading with a story that says local West Cork fishing body is looking for a cull of seals amid claims that the mammals are eating too many fish Joining me to discuss their worries, Patrick Murphy of the Irish South and West Fish Producers Organisation and in just a moment I'll be speaking with uh, Melanie Crosey, who is with the Wexford based Seal Rescue uh, Centre but Patrick Murphy uh, joins me first. Good morning to you Patrick.
6: Good morning Patricia
3: Now Patrick, call is probably too strong a word but outline what effect the seals are having in the area.
7: Well, first of all, I want to point out that the Irish South and West did not look for a cull in that word. Okay. So uh, The fishing body isn't the Irish South and West, just to clarify that. Okay. Yeah, look, we we have uh, difficulties in our industry, as we've spoken about in the past, and uh, the small amount of quota and the small resource that we are allowed to take from our own waters is problematic for fishermen to try and earn their living. But this is a bigger problem, and it's not just about fishermen. We have uh, an animal, which is a wild animal, whose numbers are after increasing exponentially, we feel, in the past number of years. And that means that for themselves, uh, as animals, they're also looking for a food source. We've heard uh, and seen footage of uh, these seals, nice and all as they are, they're still a wild animal, actually attacking and killing a sea sea bird or a swan in the river outside of the Mercy Hospital in Cork, you know, and... uh, us that's a, a, a very big departure and change for the uh, way that these animals are looking for their food source so
3: and and have you have different. we have we any idea on the numbers of seal and and the increase in the population has there been any study or, or survey done on, on them
7: well this is what we're asking for Patricia okay this this is what the fishermen are asking for we we've identified that this is becoming a, an ever-increasing problem and we see that the Something has to be done here. Now, what that has is, we want the scientists to um, look and see, is there a possibility of doing something? Um, what that is, we're not the experts here. All we can do is raise the issues and identify the problem. And we're certainly not looking for uh, something that happened with, uh, with the likes of the badgers when they were um, a bounty was put in their head. You know, look, uh, these are all marine mammals, and they're very important to the ecosystem. But we do ha- uh, have fear concerns about
3: And are they interfering with your fish catch?
7: Oh but look that's that's documented that that's quite clear. These seals now are are travelling out uh sixty, seventy miles out to sea, so they're affecting every uh different type of method of fishing. And is that we is that
3: f- unusual that they would travel that far out?
7: Oh, it would be you see. Yeah, yeah that, that that's down to the numbers. It's not down to that they can't get the fish. It's down to that the numbers have increased so much they're all spreading out to get more fish. Look, for myself, I'm an aquaculturist as well and uh, I have a mussel farm in Roaring Water Bay and we're at it for 30 years and I haven't been at that. As you know, my, my new role is, is uh, the Irish South and West yeah. CEO for the last three years. So I just happened to be actually going into a, a football tournament from the island during during the summer and uh, coming back, I was astounded by the number of fields that I'd seen in, in the short period of time that I, I hadn't been out in the bay with, it, which was three years. I reckon they've doubled in, in numbers and that's not to say that when i started 30 years ago they have increased look it's very easy to understand this you so look at the uh, peg sayers the book and uh, in the baskets you know where you see an awful lot of seals they were eating the seal they were you know they said that uh, if you look look it up in the book uh, it was like pork to them you know they were using the, the, the liver as for medicine and they were using the skin for furs and 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 you know
3: God, I, I, I did. You're, you're almost bringing back a nightmare to my leaving, cert, I did peg seals. <laughs> I, I didn't realise they, 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 actually ate seals. Oh, absolutely
8: Look, What
3: do Eskimos eat? Well, true. Yeah. You know, like, oh, do, you know. Stay, but stay there. Let me bring in um, uh, Melanie Crosey of the Wexford-based Seal Rescue uh, Centre, who might be able to throw some light on all of this. Good morning, to you, Melanie. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning. Are you are you aware of an increase in the seal population on our coasts?
0: Um, Well, I want to start off by saying thank you for having me on, and I'd also like to say that Seal Rescue we are a rescue and rehab facility, and so we do promote, um, marine conservation through education, community outreach, um, and so we are not, we do not have the authority to condone nor condemn a call. Um, so I did want to start off by saying that. Um, in regards to the numbers, I do agree with Patrick that we do need to have, um, kind of more updated numbers. The statistics that I have access to, um, are about 10 years old um and we're waiting for uh, more recent numbers um but uh due to the the most recent statistics show that there's about 10,000 seals in Ireland um and that might sound like a lot the global population of gray seals is 350,000 and again that might sound like a very high number but um to put that into perspective that's actually fewer than there are african elephants there are about 400,000 african elephants in the world so um especially the gray seals, I think those are uh, the ones that um, are, we're kind of discussing now, although there's the common seals as well. Um, the gray seal population is kind of split into three subpopulations, and um, we kind of share ours with the U.K. They do tend to migrate a bit. Um, we actually released a seal that was um, found very maceated, um, and we released it in Galway, and about six weeks later it was found in Cornwall and this is a four-month-old seal, so they definitely have the ability to move around in groups. So, um, therefore, we are kind of tied to the UK population, and that's about a third of the world population of grey seals. But if we've
3: got too many in the one area, which seems to be what Patrick is saying, if there's too many in the West Cork area. Yeah,
0: so it's it's hard to say. I mean, they are opportunistic. Um, They do have an instinct to survive, just like humans, just like any other animal. So if there's a food source um, they might go go towards that food source, um, and, and that's what they need to do. But the thing is, they are actually an apex predator in these waters. And as apex predators, they're keystone species. Um, and so they have a very, uh, a very large impact on the marine biodiversity. Um, and so usually predator populations... They, they don't really become overpopulated because they're limited by the number of prey items. Okay, and well,
3: pa- Patrick, obviously, would disagree with that. Patrick, what we seem to need is some kind of a census of the seal population in West Cork.
6: Yeah, look, as Melanie said, and look, hello, Melanie, good morning to you as well, too. Good um, morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, this is a migratory population as well, too, so that could explain at certain times of the year that there's a massive influx, and we see an awful lot more seals. My concern, and
7: I've spoken to Melanie about this, is that if the seal population goes unchecked and uh, as an apex
6: predator there's nothing taking them, controlling their numbers in the food chain. Melanie did explain to me that during storms and stuff like that that uh, the pups are um, in danger of being washed off the rocks and, and, and are susceptible to being drowned and even with that, if that's not um, helping keep the population under control, right? And it's not under control, but it's at sustainable levels. We keep talking about sustainability in the ecosystem environment. If you increase one or other of predators over the other um, inhabitants in the ecosystem, you're going to change the balance. And you're not going to make things better, you're going to make things worse. So it's like nature is nature, and nature has to have a balance. We're, we're, we're talking about um, gases, we're talking about cattle eating grass and reducing our meat consumption so if you have another apex predator that's allowed to go and increase their numbers year on year on there's going to be a massive effect now for fishermen it has a dramatic effect on their ability to earn a living and support the coastal communities and their families and it's not that they're not
7: having to do the same amount of work what's
6: happening is the fish are coming up
7: it would be fine if a seal took a
6: fish and went away and it all and filled
7: it up but a lot of seals now will only go for the prime of the fish, so they'll go for the liver, or they'll go for the heart,
6: and for the tasty bite. So once they have, and and they destroy fish. Then, and it's very hard for a fisherman then to be bringing in damaged and and fish. We have a situation of... So what's the
3: what's the solution? I'm I'm over on time, Patrick. What is the solution here?
6: The solution is is that we need more studies than this. Just like I agree 100 percent with Melanie. And, and are there it, any plans for studies? The well, the marine Institute choose our um, marine experts. And I would be calling on the Minister to ask them and give them the resources that they badly need as well
3: to carry out these studies. Okay, and and we'll get on to the Minister and just see if there are any plans. I'm over on time. It's an issue I think we will be coming back to though. Uh, But Patrick and Melanie, thank you both for joining us and talking to us on the programme this morning. Uh, Good morning to you. That is uh, Patrick Murphy of the Irish South and West Fish Producers organisation and Melanie joining us from the Seal Rescue Centre in uh, Wexford.
2: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
3: In the last hour, uh, we were discussing the problem that seems to be arising from an increase in the seal population in West Cork and the the problems it is causing and the havoc it is causing to the livelihoods of some fishermen. Donal is in Castletownbere, and he's contacted us about this issue. Good morning to you, Donal. Morning, Patricia. Donal, you have been, you've been a fisherman for many years. Yeah, Talk to me about the damage that seals can do.
8: Well, as I outlined already, that we—I have a 17-meter gill netter. You know, she just she doesn't do it she's just rigged for the gill netting business. Okay. And tangle netting as well. We we, we be tangle netting for Monk and for turbot. And every year for the last, I'd say, 20 years, BIM. And the, the marine institution and other institutions as well have sent um, people on board or board, maybe for a couple of weeks, different times of the year, to see what kind of damage has been done to the to the to the fishing gear and to the fish. Well, I have estimated, and this is a minimum estimation, that for all 17 meter netters, we are losing sixty thousand euros a year in damaged fish alone, and that's
3: and that's, that's n- just on th- your boat,
8: and that's just on my boat, and that's no exaggeration. Because the people that were out on the boat see what happened, and to say now that you know that we want some people to go around and to count them or to call some experts, you know, yeah, there's 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 no need for calling experts. They have they have plenty of evidence of what's happening in that business.
3: And when those inspectors came on your boat and went out with you, do you know what they did with, they obviously submitted some kind of a report.
8: They submitted reports, they bought, their, they bought their data with them and I didn't see any of their data that they bought with them but they, they, they have written down everything I'm sure that they have seen on the amount of damage and you can give an estimation of what you call it, of the amount of the the, 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 the fish. Because if you have a box of fish, for instance, a fella bought in a box of, of fish to me a couple of months ago back, about October time, and I asked him to bring in the damaged fish, and he bought in a box, and there was 48 heads in it. Wow. And if there was 48 heads of, of pollock in that box, well... You would it would be it would be three boxes of fish, weighing an an average between thirty two and thirty five kilos at three fifty a kilo, or maybe four euros. You know, so you have that kind of damage for one box. of heads. Well, some days you could come in with six boxes. You know, you might have more you might have more boxes of heads coming in than you would have of of all fish. You
3: are in the fishing industry. I, I, I see on the screen in front of me for for the nearly 60 years
8: Yes, I'm
3: fishing is, this, is the problem with the seals getting worse year on year?
8: Getting worse. I was talking to my son last night and he's 90 miles he's 90 miles southwest west of Castletown Bear and he's fishing in 200 metres of water 90 miles off and he's he's having serious damage with seals there.
3: 90 miles off the coast.
8: 90 miles up, so west, yeah, from 90 miles from the harbour in Castle
3: So they're getting that, they're going that far out. They're going that far out.
8: Okay, far out. so what, what is the solution? Well, you can hear all the controversy about shooting deers and shooting foxes and shooting uh, goats and all this like, well, every, every uh, species has to, ha- has to be controlled to a, to a certain extent, you know, we're not here to make them extinct or anything like. You've seen probably shots of uh, photographs of the the Blasket Islands there, where there's there's something like six thousand on the beach alone, like. And when they go counting, they told me when we were we went to Galway a couple of years ago, four years ago, we went to Galway to a meeting. They asked invited us to come up to the Marine Institution for to have a meeting about the seals and there was about 50 people in the room, and one fellow suggested, he said, well, I see, he says, by the people that are in this room, he said, there are only four or five Egypts here, he said, and that's that's us, he said, that all the other people that are in this room are are paid people, and uh, they could find no solution anyhow out of the debate about the seals. So I said, there's there's a cure for every pain. I told them that the, the best way we can do, I said, is if there's 10 euros taken off of your wages and put into a fund, and we'll have no problems with the sales if there's a fund set up, and that we can draw 500 or 1,000 euros a week from that fund for the damages that's being done to our to our gear and to our fish. No, they said, no, 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 that wouldn't work at all, because it wouldn't work, I said, because it's hurting your pocket. My pocket is hurting every day.
3: Well, you, you, but from what you're saying and listening to other fishermen, if something isn't done, the seal population is just going to increase.
8: I'm telling you, I, I, I can see it. You're calling me every day, and they're saying, you know, look at the spell damage that they, that they, that they have from the, in, the, in their in their gillnets. You know, they're bringing more damaged fish in than they're bringing that they're bringing fish that are saleable.
3: Okay. And I know the, your local TD, uh, independent, uh, TD Michael Collins has raised this uh, in the doll. So, uh, we'll wait and see what comes out, uh, from it. But, uh, in the meantime, thank you for that. And, uh, uh, thanks for joining us on the program. Uh, today, today 185333 uh, 103 i think it's just even though in fairness uh, to patrick from the from, to patrick murphy of the irish south and west fish producers organisation he doesn't want the word cull uh, used because i think as soon as the word cull gets used uh, it evokes all kinds of emotions in in people and nobody wants the idea of these what perceived as gorgeous creatures being killed but then when you listen to Donal and his livelihood and other people's livelihoods are, are being affected, I think, you know, we do need to look at the bigger picture and something needs to be done uh, to sort it out, what the solution is. I don't know. 1850-333-103. Uh, it's like, what is the solution to the nurses? Some of your thoughts coming in on, on the nurses' uh, strike. Those in, uh, Tom and North Gormick said, uh, those that retire in the public service are getting too big of a golden handshake and their pensions are simply too uh, large uh, maybe we could take some of those pensions back and instead reinvest it in nurses uh, i'd love to see people willingly handing over their large pensions to you tom but it certainly it would be um, one way of coming up with money if it if money is the uh, issue A degree, this is Tim, a degree course will not make a better nurse, but they must be tested academically and practically. Primary school teachers, their course now is a four year course in the early 70s. It was a three year course before that. It was a a two year course. Do the extension and training make them better teachers? Do not overlook the work of community nurses. Their experience cannot be taught in any degree uh, course. The psychological war regarding the nurses divide public opinion and get the nurses submissive. The solution may be to reduce the working hours but don't reduce the pay. The real slaves are what used to be so called, what used to be called the junior hospital uh, doctors. And Mary has commented on, this was on somebody who said that if you're in, there's so many nurses but it seems to be care assistants are doing all the jobs and somebody was saying if you ring the bell and look for a glass of water it is a care assistant who will bring you the glass of water not a nurse. Mary would like to point out it is not a nurse's job to get a patient a glass of water that's what care assistants are for while Margaret said do you know Patricia that nurses are paid less now than they were in 2008 which is 11 years ago have the politicians seen increases in their pay since then ponders Margaret is that true that a nurse is paid less now than they were 11 years ago god that seems uh, crazy and someone else is pointing out they gave the increases to the guards they can give it to the uh, nurses a different Mary says hi Patricia I totally agree with the nurses their wages should be looked at young nurses don't get enough to live on No wonder they're leaving our shores as soon as they qualify. They don't have to work 12 and 13 hours. I hope they get what they deserve, says Mary by uh, text and listening. Actually, we had a big reaction yesterday to young Marco Driscoll, the 24-year-old nurse originally from CORE outside Skibbereen. And did two and a half years nursing here once he qualified and just got the, the stress and the strain of it all at, a 20, at 24 to admit that the stress and strain of nursing and working in an Irish hospital with what should have been a 12 hour day nearly was always a 13 hour, hour day and then when he was describing yesterday what it was like working in a hospital in Australia he painted a very different picture of what it is like for nurses nursing here so you can understand why we are seeing so many of our young nurses uh, leaving these shores. Linda says on the nursing uh, crisis, it is not obviously a simple supply and demand issue. When there is a recruitment crisis and not enough nurses are staying in this country to work, then surely, surely you must pay more money in order to make them stay. How is this? Complicated. Nurses do a really hard job, are then crippled with paperwork demanded by the government and are expected to stretch themselves to such an extent that our hospitals are worse now for patients than they were 20 years ago. Total disgrace. The government have no problem bailing out the banks, but paying nurses correctly is just simply not acceptable. Apparently, it is shameful. And that comes in from uh, Linda. Thank you for that, Uh, Linda. 1850, 333103. And Heidi raising a different issue, but it's kind of staying on health. And this is to do with the overspend at the children's hospital. Patricia, I wonder if the same thing with the children's hospital here, what happened in the NHS in the UK. Remember, there was big fraudsters. There was a big fraud going on. It was a gang took £12 million from the NHS and a good amount of money ended up in an Arab state. A firm building new mental health department in Birmingham had their bank accounts altered as pay on a monthly basis and in one month alone a million euro, a million pounds went missing from their account and when the NHS financial department were contacted by the construction firm to say we haven't been paid, they said you have been paid and then this huge fraud was discovered, I remember that and there was a big chase on to find the money some of these gangs are very very clever that was, that was, that was a scam on a huge level but Heidi, no, I don't think there's any scam going on like that at the children's hospital that money has gone missing because at this stage we're only discussing what it is going to cost and with every day that cost seems to be getting higher and higher it's going to be really interesting when the Cooper report which is underway at the moment which again I find difficult it's going to cost a half a million to take a look at why the hospital has gone almost a billion over what was the original cost and we have to pay a half a million to find out why why we've, why they've spent a billion but I suppose when you're looking at a billion a half a billion is but a drop in the water but it will be very, I would be very interested in the Cooper report to see where the finger of blame will lie and I'm assuming it's going to lie with more than one person and it's also going to lie with the layers, I think there's about four layers of governance I mean that's why you sometimes wonder how any decision is ever made because somebody signs off on something it has to go up along to the next layer to get signed off to the next layer to the next layer you know where, until it finally stops and somebody signs in the dotted line and then they get whatever, whatever it is that they wanted to get that was signed off you know originally four or five layers down we just have it's one of our big problems when it comes to health and certainly one of our big problems in the HSE is the amount of layers of management and trying my best to work out what has gone wrong at the National Children's Hospital, it does look like there are so many different layers of management. So therefore, I suppose the finger of blame is just going to get pointed up along and then will it ultimately rest with the Minister for Health? Can the Minister for Health be blamed in you know, over this? I mean, he's, he, he, can he be blamed? He, he, I don't suppose we can expect a Minister for Health to pro- to project manage and micromanage the building of a National Children's Hospital you would expect that the people down on the line are doing their jobs right, but somebody, somebody, and more than one, I would imagine, will come out We're not doing their jobs uh, properly. But we'll have to wait for the price. Water has Cooper report to come out to find out exactly what is uh, going on. And then there's also a text in from a WhatsApp in from a resident in Castletown Bear says Pish, I'm wondering did any of you listeners in the Castleton Bear contact you to say they saw members of Angardashy Corner with sniffer dogs around the main street in Castletown Bear last Thursday night people here are aware that there is a drug problem in the town dare I say there's a drug there's very few towns or villages can I say Not just here in Cork, but anywhere in Ireland that doesn't have a drug problem going on. Anyway, this resident of Castletown Bear was delighted to see Gardaí out with uh, sniffer dogs and and is hoping that there was some kind of a good result. Enjoy listening to your programme. Uh, Kind regards, a concerned resident of Castletown Bear. That's by WhatsApp to 0862 103 103.
1: 103 Jobs.
3: Marketing personnel is wanted full or part-time position while full and part-time bus drivers are wanted for school runs, private hire and tours. And a secretary slash receptionist slash office administrator required for a legal practice in Bantry. You'll find all the... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second
0: guess the ring.
3: Details And more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. As we've been hearing on our news and discussing here on the programme all morning, a second 24-hour strike by 37,000 nurses got underway at 8am this morning. Let's go to Fomoy Community Hospital where I'm joined by Nurse Marguerite Sampson. Good morning to you, Marguerite. Good morning, Patricia. Um, how are you? I'm very well. Uh, you're welcome. How many? How many are uh, out on strike from White Community Hospital today?
9: Um, well, we actually have a rota going, Patricia. Where we have seven or eight people out there at the time. Okay, miserable morning for us. It sure is, but you know what? We've gotten so much local support. They've come with shelters and cups of tea and everything, and it just all makes it a bit easier, you know.
3: Okay, you're actually now. From Community Hospital is open today.
9: It is open, yes, but um, the convalescence and respite bed um, admissions have been cancelled.
3: Okay, and you're one of the, and, and there are there you're one of the ones working today. There is work going on today though, is not there isn't there? There isn't. Yeah, because you would you would have patients um, who have to be looked after, uh, and that's the same in all hospitals. But they're just at, at the HSC advising people to, to particularly the A and E's uh, to stay uh, well away. Um, Ma- Marguerite, why are you? Why do you feel it's so important that nurses are on strike?
9: Well, Patricia, you know, this strike is about safety. We've been losing nurses to immigration for years and years. They just can't recruit enough of us, and that's because of the pay. Understaffed hospitals are just not safe for patients. We need to have real incentives, including better pay and employment conditions, in order for us to recruit and retain more nurses. It's as simple as that.
3: And the argument that the government will say, Marguerite, we don't have the money. We can't pay you. If we pay you, there's going to be a string of people behind looking for money. You'll cripple the country. I know,
9: and I suppose, Patricia, that is their job, to come up with a solution. They're paid well enough to do so. You know, it is with a heavy heart that we are all participating in this strike action, but we have been left with no other choice. We just want to be able to care for our patients safely. But the patient-to-nurse ratio is constantly increasing. This is not safe practice for patients or nurses. And this is the main reason that we've been left with no option but to take to the picket lines. We are exporting our amazing nurses to so many countries and can't offer them any incentives to come back. You know, like, if you look at the statistics, 10,000 nurses have gone to Australia since 2007, 6,000 to the UK. It is all pay-related. We are training enough nurses in this country every year to solve this problem. But the government are just not coming up with any solutions to the table at all, you know. I mean, there is a famous quote by Richard Branson. You know, he once said that train people well enough so they can leave, but treat them well enough so they don't want to. And, you know, I think that's something that the government just needs to sit up and listen to.
3: But I I wonder, Marguerite, is it more about the conditions? I I mean, I accept, absolutely I accept your arguments on the pay. I spoke with a young nurse yesterday from Melbourne who had worked for two and a half years in one of the city hospitals and he said after two and a half years he was just... Burnt out stress levels. Uh, he said he just couldn't cope with it anymore. And he spoke about what the conditions are like in Melbourne. I mean, the st- the ratio is one nurse to four patients. They're That's only right. they, they only do eight hour shifts. Yes. Uh, their handover is part of their day. They're not coming in early for the for for the handover. Um, yes. And and it struck me listening to him. No matter how much you increased his pay, I don't think I would I would have been in a position yesterday to encourage him to come back.
9: But I suppose, you know, Patricia, it's all related to each other. If you increase people's pay, that would create an incentive for all of those nurses that have left to come back. And if you have more staff, then you, you invariably improve the conditions. It is, it's, it's not a separate issue. It is all linked to each other, you know.
3: OK, so the, for Morrie Community Hospital, you've got patients are all being looked after, but the main ones to suffer in your area would have been people due in for respite.
9: That's right, respite and convalescence care. And, you know, that's a very regrettable thing. We don't want to be out on strike, but enough is enough. I want to work. I'm I'm very passionate about my job as a nurse. You know, and as a nurse, people trust us. It's an implicit thing in nursing that we are very privileged to have. And now we are just asking the public to trust us again, Patricia, that this is the right course of action. If we didn't do something to ensure the future of the health service, then we wouldn't be doing right by our patients.
3: What did you make of the offer yesterday from Pascal Donoghue and the Minister for Health to come in for talks, but they'll talk about anything except pay?
9: Yeah, like, I mean, this is going on with eight years now, you know, and they're they just putting a spin on it, to be honest, and not coming up with any real solution. So all I know is that this situation can't continue as it has been. People are burning out and saying they just can't do this anymore. Like, I worked in CUH for 17 years and nurses and midwives, you Know, um, we're just um, getting burnt out and saying they're either going to have to leave or do you know join another profession. Nurses in middle they're strong, resilient, and durable people, but there is only so much that they can take, you know.
3: Okay, I can see a lot of I think support, this
9: is just the end of the line. Yeah,
3: you there's know. a lot of, um, and I, and I can see it coming in, uh, Marguerite in, in comments and text coming in here, l- a lot of support. Is that keeping nurses going and is that making your resolve even stronger, the fact that you do appear to have the public it, behind you?
9: It absolutely makes so much of a difference, Patricia. Like, I mean, we have residents um, relatives coming into us and, you know, you can hear the determination in their voices coming in with such support and I'll be out on the picket line with you and can I bring you anything in and you're right. And I suppose, you know, if you've been in hospital recently, if you're somebody belongs to a hospital, then, you know, you can see that the shoes that the nurses are walking in, you know exactly how much effort is put in. And um, I think the public see that by and large, you know.
3: OK, Mary, one of our listeners says, the government can give money to people abroad yet they can't pay the nurses a decent wage, especially the young nurses who don't simply get enough to live on. The people who are refusing to pay the nurses are sitting in nice offices while the nurses are the ones out working. Uh, I really would like to see them do a nurse's job. Good luck to uh, the nurses, says Mary. and That's just uh, one of many texts coming in. All right, Marguerite. Listen, thank you for that. and uh, stay. Would you mind, Patricia, yeah. if I just give a big
9: thank you to all of the... My community hospital nurses—you um, know—for all of their support um, to all of our local community for all their generosity, and um, to, especially to all the local businesses. You know, it makes us feel like valued members of society and gives us strength and encouragement. It is time that we get our safe conditions, our safe pay, and patients and nurses are treated with respect and that we get the value and appreciation that nurses deserve.
3: Okay, Marguerite, thank you for that.
9: and thanks uh, for it. joining
3: us. That's Margarita Sampson, who is at Formoy Community Hospital. I want to go to Mirren, who joins me in uh, Bantry. Uh, good morning to you, Mirren. Hello, uh, how are you? Y- you want to raise the issue, f- uh, you want to talk on behalf of young nurses, and in particular, a friend of yours who recently qualified, is it?
10: Yes, so I, I'm a recent graduate of college, and I have a friend who, we were just talking about this the last day, Um, Over the last four years, because of her placement, she's actually worked the equivalent of €15,000 worth of free hours.
3: This is work that she had to do as part of her training?
10: Had to do as part of her training. It's part of it already built in. So what's hard to digest, especially in a country like this, that it is so understaffed, is... Before student nurses even become fully qualified, before they're even allowed into these hospitals as fully trained nurses, we are already basically putting them in debt of €15,000. Now, it's quite hard to stomach that when you think about the children's hospital that's currently being built. Uh, Simon Harris yesterday said that he didn't want the scandal of a children's hospital not being built. So he has no problem spending €1 billion over over the budget. But the problem he has is paying the people that would work in that hospital.
4: Yeah,
3: and and she, I'm, I, the fifteen thousand is is a staggering figure that you you mentioned, and of course when when you the, the that would have been work on the wards.
10: That would have been work on the ward now, as well as that she would have gone to the University of Limerick. Now, University of Limerick is actually only the only university in Ireland that also makes their nurses work um, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. So, as well as everything else, she would have worked the exact hours a nurse would have worked. Yes. She Didn't get any pay for
3: it. She got then it. She, did she get paid in the final year, the play the, the nine month placement at the end?
10: In the last, uh, the yeah, last the last, month, yeah, but, yeah, but but, but you're talking about
3: during the training period.
10: It's just she, ridiculous. So, if, if you're already setting up student nurses for that, no wonder they're leaving.
3: So, then, therefore, she couldn't get a job as, as other students on other courses would have been getting part time jobs.
10: So, what she actually did was uh, as well as working through her student placement and everything like that. She worked for an agency. Now, that meant that she had no days off. She was working seven days a week. There was no downtime. As well as that, she's trying to figure out the actual paperwork side of her final year of college and all of that. It, it's just too much. And no wonder that these young people are coming out with burnout after four or five years when we're already expecting so much of them before they're even qualified for little to no pay.
3: Is of your, fr- is your friend away.
10: qualified? She's qualified, yep. She's just qualified this year. Um,
3: where, where is again, she working?
10: I think she's working in LUH at the moment in the right. University Hospital. Will, will but she stay? Not at all.
3: No. Uh,
0: she's
10: currently planning on moving away to Canada I believe at the moment. Um, I could honestly say out of that class of nurses I don't actually know a single one that's staying in Ireland. It's it's shocking. It's it's turning into as bad as it was back in the original recession time when generations of people were leaving to Australia and Canada. It's the same thing again.
3: We're, e- we're educating pilot. them for the boats on boats the planes.
10: Exactly. And... and it's, it's very simple to put it in the terms that, again, we're willing to spend €1 billion Euro over a hospital limit, but we're not willing to fully pay the people that are working in those hospitals and saving the lives.
3: Okay, Mirren, well pushed. Thank you for that. And no uh, thanks uh, for joining us. It's Mirren in Bantry. And I'm going to go to one final caller. Uh, this is uh, Councillor Deirdre O'Brien uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Deirdre. Good morning. Um, you're, with the, you're with the nurses today. You're standing full strong with the nurses.
1: Oh, I am, Patricia. Yeah, I fully support them. Look, I suppose from a personal side, you know, we all know we've been in hospital every now and again and, watch, and have loved ones in hospital. But like, we rely on the nurses to give us that update and we're hanging on their every word. We're relying on them to look after the um, patient that's in there. And, you know, to realise the doctor has gone. You know, we, they, they're the people that have to see the change in the patient. They, they get change over patients. They have a number of patients to look after. The responsibility is huge. Like, even we go back there, even, look at last year and stormophilia. You know, people go and stay at home from work, but the nurses, they endanger their own lives to go and save other lives. You know, and these are things like there, our emergency services. I do think the new entrance. Um, are, are being certainly um, not treated properly. We've, we paid for their education and they we let them go free. Like, they're entitled to live too. They, they need to go, like, and the thing is they're leaving for not better um, salaries, but for just better conditions. Also, I've seen down to the years, we use good quality nurses to add inroads, medical reps, desk jobs, basically because the work conditions are more enjoyable. They can do better social hours, family life. Stress, maybe, but not to the extent of the person's life, depending on yours, and they carry the financial burden of extra childcare with the unsociable hours. But well, you see, I, I see I'm, I'm
3: starting to think is is it's it's the improvement, the conditions, the improvement for the staff and the conditions. I'm starting to think that that's way more important. I think no matter what you pay nurses, if the conditions don't change, we are going to continue to haemorrhage our young nurses who are, who are going to leave for better conditions.
1: This is it. This is it, you know. And like it's time the government needs to step up to the mark and realise this. You know, and they're so trying was, to
3: Sorry up. for interrupting. So was yeah. Philney Hay then of the INMO wrong to say no to Pascal Donoghue and Simon Harris who... Offered yesterday for them to come in, they wouldn't talk about pay, but they did want to talk about a safe staffing framework and to improve staff and patient outcomes. Were well, they wrong not to get around the table and at least look at conditions
1: but that 's aggravating the situation like let the nurses come in like there is the issue of paying with the new entrants you know and there is like they shouldn't just shut that down straight away. They know this for a long time and I, and I refuse the moment where the government is throwing back on the nurses saying. That oh, they're to blame now for the public, um, the waiting list going up and procedures being cancelled. The government saw this coming down the road, and I asked myself today: I say, like, the public are the government's responsibility? Where is our children's hospital today? Where is the responsibility to our children? Like, Patricia, three years ago, I raised the motion at print, um, above in the chamber that the children's hospital should be built out in a green um, field site. Mm. There was seven; the Red Sea poll done, and um, for seventy-three percent of the public saying that St. James's was
3: the wrong site. Well, all of us outside of Dublin wanted it anywhere but St. James's. You
1: know, they need to yeah. think in their doors. Okay. All right, you know, I've, I've, I've got to leave
3: it there. You uh, just appreciate your call. Thank you for that and uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. I'm going out
1: to stand at the nurses anyway,
4: okay.
3: so, yeah, All right, so. thank you for that. Well, yeah, well, I tell we'll you, bring an up. umbrella because it's a wet morning out there. All yeah. right, thanks for that. Thanks. That is um, Councillor Deirdre O'Brien, 1850
1: 103 Hi, Martina here. Join me every weekday from 4 to 7 for Drive time where i'll keep you up to date on all the latest traffic information we'll spread some positivity with our feel-good story and song of the day and of course we'll be serving up a generous portion of cork's greatest hits c103 this is the cork today replay on c103
3: now, a group of five first responder schemes are coming together to hold a joint event in the Cork Race course in Mallow. It'll be on the weekend after Easter. And joining me with details are two of the responders, Ger Sheehan and uh, John Finnegan. And you're both very welcome to studio, gentlemen. Uh, good morning to you. Uh, John, I'll start with you. Community first responders, they're up and running since 2014. Remind listeners of the role you play.
11: Well, it was Ger actually started it up in 2014. OK. Um George from Donrell Um so George is the coordinator for Donrell, Mallow, Liscarrel and Budaphan and uh, we currently have 80 responders trained up between Mallow, Budaphan, Ballyclough and That's a big
3: number, that's a, it's a big number. Okay George tell me why, why did you decide to set it up?
12: Well we set it up because we felt there was a need in the community Um basically it was not fault in the ambulance service, no, but if the local ambulance is out in Mallow, and God forbid, said uh, I'll just pick in Mallow as a, just an example, yeah. note. I mean, it could be any one of the areas. If the Mallow ambulance was out, and if God forbid there was a cardiac arrest in Mallow, I mean, the next available resource might be, it could be Cantock Ambulance, it could be Mill Street, it could be Fumoy, it could be any one of the ambulances in the area. And with a cardiac arrest, you need to be there fairly quick for that person to survive. So for every m- 1 minute that there's no CPR being done, um that person have a, t- a 10% chance of not surviving. Oh my God. So with us as community responders, the very minute you ring in 999, we are we're dis- dispatched by the National Ambulance Service, we get a text message to the area where the, the cardiac arrest is. Um we've responders on call 24/7. What we do then is the responders are kitted out. They have a defib and the responder back in their cars, the people that are on call. So what they do, they go to the location, they, they go to the patient, they do CPR, they put on the use of defibrillator and uh, they keep going then until the ambulance comes.
3: And then the ambulance takes, comes, they take over and then you're finished?
12: Normally, no, no. Normally what the ambulance, when they do come, there's a job for everyone there. The ambulance might be doing more serious uh, stuff they might be putting in they'll be doing the airway they'll be doing a lot more serious stuff by putting in uh, medications as well trying to get the patients heart starting off again you know so we'll be still there we could be continuing on with the CPR oh, okay. and they'll be doing more advanced life and,
3: and um, John are you also there as support to the family I imagine if there is somebody God forbid having a heart attack in the house and you arrive there's a lot of panic going on in the house
11: yeah definitely there's a lot of, <coughs> of panic but we find once we arrive to the scene and we have the bag and they see the jackets that we have, instantly There's a they kind of calm down, um, instantly, because help is here. Yeah. And basically we just go hands-on until the ambulance service arrives and we just hand over to them then.
3: You're actually on call at the moment, so you have, is it a bleeper or a phone or what,
11: what way does it work? It is my phone. It's a phone, um, okay. So we say, God forbid, no, if the ambulance service gets a 999 call, Um, it's automatically sent to my phone here so it'll go off we will have a text message which will be explaining to me what kind of a call it is and the address location the address yeah this where the
3: air code is is useful
11: to be honest with you the most frustrating thing for us is when people don't know their air codes yeah um it's we've been dispatched to several calls and we've been up and down the roads looking for the houses Yeah. because people just aren't using their air codes. So know your air code. It's, v- it's vital.
3: Yeah, have it by the phone. Because uh, I, I know this is a, a, a simple one for us. We use the air code here at the radio station the whole time when we've got guests coming out if they're coming from the city or whatever. And it's the simplest way. Everybody needs. Okay, talk to me about your the training, Ger. What kind of training?
12: Um, basically the training. We've our own qualified uh uh, instructors. I'm a, an instructor myself. There, uh, we qualified there um, late last year. Um, we do the training for the, for, the people, uh, for everyone. It's free of charge. Free of charge for responders. Okay. Yeah. Basically, what it is is it's about a three and a half to four hour course. Okay. Um, at the end of it, they'll get a certification for two years from the Irish Heart Foundation and the Pre-Hospital Emergency Care Council. It's a joint cert that that's a requirement from the ambulance service for us to use. It's uh, basically, the course entails adult CPR, infant CPR, the use of defibrillator. Um, It gives us the right to administer aspirin for chest pain. And we'll be trained on on, uh, stroke as well, stroke cause as well. And 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 stroke
3: is the one where you have to act fast, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah,
12: act fast, yeah. Yeah. The fast assessment, yeah. Yeah.
3: And choking, that's an important one because that's one where people panic.
11: Well, to be honest, that's the one that you don't really want to get. I mean, the is one yeah. the one that I personally, and I can speak for all of us, the one we really don't want to get is an infant. Yeah. That's going to be the hardest one, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think... There was a few infant calls, wasn't there, Ger?
12: Yeah, personally, no, I was at three of them, and, you know, it's hard to get over, like, but, I mean, all you can say is you tried your best for that poor infant, you know. Right. And, and it takes a while to get over it, but yeah. you've done your best, you and know. And is
3: there is there backup and support for that? Oh, well, there is, yeah. yeah. We
12: have uh, the admin service, a very good to us, you know, that if we have any problem for counselling or anything, they're always there, to just a phone call away. Yeah.
3: And John, have have you saved lives? Can you, can you can you look back and say, yeah, I've I've made a difference. I've saved a life.
11: Well, definitely, there there has been lives saved. I mean, Jor was hands-on for one lad there. I mean, he got electrocuted, and uh, you you were on the scene within a few minutes. Tell me about that, sir.
12: Yeah. Um, of course, was just just over twelve months ago. We got a call to categorist. Um, it was all in our and um, we didn't know what we were going to. But when we got there, we see a boat in in the field at the back of the house. And we were saying, what's going on here? Like, it's unusual to see a boat. And uh, In a the field, yeah. the basically, uh, I'm not going to mention any no. names now, but moving the boat in the backyard. OK, and uh, what happened was the, the mast of the boat hit the power lines and he got electrocuted. His son pulled him back from the boat. He got a little burn mark in his hand from the, the high voltage. Um, they pulled him back straight away. They commenced CPR. His wife commenced CPR, and the next door neighbour as well. they did doing the CPR. We arrived at the scene. They were doing good quality CPR. Good. We got the defibrillator on. We got two shocks into into the patient. And um, about a minute or two minutes after that, the, the advanced uh, rapid response car from Mallow came out. A minute after that, he kind of started, started breathing for himself, oh, and he got the, we got the pulse back. To make a long story short, then he was airlifted to, to Cox City, to the uh, University Hospital. And um, to, to make his back now and back doing his daily life. Full recovery? Walking, full recovery, yeah, full recovery. And so. did
3: you meet him afterwards? Oh, we did, yeah. yeah. We, we met him no yeah.
12: later. Than last weekend we were talking to him again and we called out a week later after he coming out from hospital and he was telling us the only thing he regret was missing... The, the spin in the big green helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> but as I say, he's he's still he's still around, and that's. And, great and as also well, the yeah. moral
3: of that tale is knowing CPR with the the wife and the neighbour uh, knowing fairness, CPR. His, his
12: wife was doing very good CPR, and that's what made, made the difference Brilliant. as well.
3: Gerard tell me about this day that you've planned, and 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 I'll have you back in again uh, before um, this. But we just want to give people advance warning it is 27th of April. That's uh, race right, and John. What, John what is plan? kind of
12: the main John. man. John, i didn't try to talk about that because he's What's the main the man. Plan, John?
11: Well, we, uh, (coughs) myself and one of my colleagues at work, Paul Coyley, we came up with this. Initially, it was to push, a a bed push. And what we were going to do was go around each towns that we were actually covering. And we decided maybe that's not a great idea. So, um, we'd be
3: a bit more ambitious.
11: It would be, yes, exactly. So, what we said (laughs) we'd do was we'd push a fully equipped ambulance. As you do. Which is over five tonne around Cork, Racecourse and Mallow a full 26.2 miles so it's a full marathon distance on the 27th of April How um, many of you? There's 24 of us actually currently in training we're training since November for this I mean people probably see us running around the town there by night and everything there's, there's in fairness there's about 12 of the local guards and give us a hand as well so it's between guards, responders and there'll be a few of the first service sides as well
3: How many hours will it take?
11: We're expecting we'll have it done in about 10 hours
3: That's some going. Cool that so is some going.
11: We we hope to be started 7 o'clock in the morning and the 27th of April. Okay, out um, of the
3: race course. But part of the day, other than, I mean, it's going to be great to get people to go out and watch you push the fully equipped ambulance around the race course. You yeah, mean, it, it's going to be a fun day out as well, isn't we it? We
11: actually have a family fun day um, arranged as well for that day. And it's actually a blue light services day is what it's going to be. So what we have is, on the day, the fire service are going to be there, the National Ambulance Service, CFR Ireland, the Gardaí, Man Search and Rescue, Blood Bikes, Irish Heart Foundation, Bike First Responders, Civil Defence, Irish Red Cross, the RSA, My Canine Friend, Search Dogs, and that's just to name a few. Okay, so, so there'll be lots happening on the day. There'll be, an, there'll the be day. Lots. And,
3: and obviously, on the day, you're going to get the message out as to what responders do, and in the hope also that maybe some people will... will come and volunteer
11: and sign up yeah. yeah and on the day we're going to be giving demonstrations on CPR okay. I mean the fire service are doing demonstrations on chip pen fires and Cutting, I think they're on cutting cars up and stuff like that on the day. So there's a lot of um, kids' entertainment there as well, like okay. bouncing castles. I'll
3: tell you what, we'll have you in again closer to the time just to remind everybody what's going on and we'll go through the day in a little bit more detail. But in the meantime, can I wish everybody involved with the community first responders the best of luck? You're doing amazing work. Um, may you never have to call to our doors. But if the need is there, we know you're there, which is terrific. John Finnegan and Gerard we thank you both for joining us in the studio. Okay, thanks uh, Good time. morning.
2: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
3: Some of your calls texts and comments into the programme on the nurses in the children's hospital. People are kind of commenting on both today on the programme. Helen and Kilworth said nurses are only looking for what they had before the recession, before the fempy cuts, before they, they were, yeah, somebody was saying that they were on a higher pay in 2008 than they are on uh, today. But, Sir Selam, we were told before we would have no further fiascos like what happened with Irish Water. But now look what's happening with the Children's Hospital and it's happened at about 10 times the scale of the cost of Irish Water. Common Sense should have told them to set up a committee across all parties to watch the cost of the Children's Hospital and there should have been TDs in the doll. And, sh- and there are TDs in the Doll who know about the construction. I feel this government is arrogant and they're inexperienced, says Helen in Kilworth. And it is really coming out in the fiasco that now looks like is the National Children's Hospital. Mary in West Cork works for the HSC and she's contacted us because she wants to say well done to Mark O'Driscoll. Mark was the young nurse who joined us from Melbourne yesterday. He's been out in Melbourne for about three, four months now, two and a half years, qualified and burnout he was working in the Mercy Hospital in Cork, and he said he just couldn't do it anymore. He was heading for burnout. So himself and his girlfriend. I've got to ask him. Actually, I must check with John Paul. As his girlfriend, and nurse as well. But himself and his girlfriend decided that was it. They were an emigrant, and uh, he's having a. He wants to come back, and he will come back one day. But I've a feeling, listening to Mark yesterday, it'll be a long, long time before he'll consider coming back. To Ireland, to Cork, to work as a nurse because the conditions here. Anyway, Mary listened with interest and she thought it was a fine interview by Mark and she thought he spoke very well. But she said, listening to the interview, she's fearful that Mark painted such a good picture of pay and conditions in Australia that it might actually encourage more of our graduates to emigrate. She asks, Why aren't the parties involved? sitting down and engaging to try to rectify this. When are the talks going to start? Well, they're certainly not starting today because we have the nurses out on the picket line. We had the finance minister and the health minister asking them to come to the Workplace Relations Commission willing to open up talks but said they'll talk about anything except pay. The nurses, their executive said that that's cynical move and they feel it's very disrespectful so certainly there's nobody getting around a table talking today Marian Cool says I don't know why people are surprised at the way nurses are being treated I have totally lost faith in this government when they turned their back on the disability sector I voted Fine Gael all my life but after going to a number of Fine Gael TDs and people in my area it was Fina Falls Deputy Michael Moynihan that looked into things for our family and helped us out so I think we need change and people need to talk up more when they're canvassing when they're out on the doorsteps knocking on your door looking for votes actually talking about canvassing we had a very busy programme yesterday and I didn't get to all of the comments and the calls that came in somebody was querying and questioning yesterday well firstly they were asking was it, was it legal to be out canvassing so early for the May local elections and of course it is you can go out and a public representative can go out and knock on people's doors it doesn't have to be in the lead up to an election they can do it at any time wasn't it Shane Ross was out and he's a minister wasn't he out canvassing in his area in Dublin on Christmas Eve and he frightened the life out of some people and he was out again on New Year's Eve just checking up and seeing how people were getting on if there's anything they could help them with so that's what politicians do so no uh, somebody the reason that it got raised yesterday was somebody contacted us because somebody had called to their house I think over the weekend canvassing for the local elections in May and this person was annoyed and thought was it legal thought there was I think what they were getting confused was is it's a month before the elections that they're allowed to put up posters but that's a littering that's to do with littering more than anything else. But the actual going out canvassing, no, you can do it a- any time at all. So Mary and says, because we have an election looming, we have local elections and we have European elections. So if you haven't already had a knock at your door, you can expect it. You're going to have people canvassing. So Mary feels we should be quizzing and talking up to any of the would-be politicians or politicians that arrive at our doors. By WhatsApp, this is a mid-cork listener. Morning, Patricia. I'm an old age pensioner. I grew up with an understanding that the priesthood, the nursing profession and the nuns were all vocations. Money was never an issue in my day. But sadly today... It seems to all be about the evil of money. Remember the nuns that nursed and ran hospitals to perfection. No trolley lists, no MRSA, no other bugs, And furthermore, they never received a brown penny for the work that they did. It was their order received any wages they would have received. There was no overrun on costs in a time when they would have had a much larger population. God bless the nuns. They were the real Florence Nightingales of their day. And that's from a mid-Cork listener. Some of your texts coming in to us on 0862 103 103. A text that says the nurses should all go up to Dublin and march. They should go up there and march outside the Doll When there is Uh, an event planned for a rally planned for this Saturday the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation have confirmed that a national rally will take place next Saturday February the 9th at Dublin's Garden of Remembrance and obviously a lot of nurses are going to turn out but they're also looking for members of the public to show their support as well. So they are going to Dublin but they're having a rally at the Garden of Remembrance. They're, this listener is suggesting that they should be protesting outside the doll. Sandy says, personally I think nurses rejected the government's offer on the basis that, there wa- that that was an offer that had been discussed before and it didn't need to be discussed again just implement it ie in lieu of putting four trained nurses into er put in 12 employ 20 or so new nurses extra in hospitals cut over overtime thus cut, cutting stress all pwc this is supposed to cooper on the children's hospital all they can do is All they can lay blame on is the way the government contracts are awarded with room for add-ons and alterations to design are due to unforeseen conditions such as foundations, uh, for example. The government are well aware of this for years. This mismatch covers the tales of TDs and civil servants and therefore it allows contractors to underprice all contracts yet legally allows them then to submit for additional fees. That so needs to be looked at and by God it does and if nothing else the Children's Hospital has proven that the way they tender for contracts and the way contracts are awarded does need to be looked at. John in Clonacilty, on nurses pay. Tricia, no talk of the 200 million euro the government paid to small bank bondholders before Christmas. Go away out of that, Pascal and Leo. No money. Ha, pay up and shut up. Ooh, says John in Clonacilty. Patricia, I agree, says a texter with the nurses in the acute hospitals. They should be paid more. I agree with the new nurses, but the nurses in the local community hospital, says this texter, they don't deserve extra pay. It's the health care assistants who are the backbone of the small community hospitals says, an unnamed uh, texter. Owen says, Patricia, in regard to the nurses' uh, strike, is it true that SIP2 are stopping their nurses from striking? Can you find out is that true? If so, it's a disgrace and everyone should pull uh, the membership and that's from Owen. I can't, I would not believe that's true because firstly, the SIP2 nurses that are joined SIP2 rather than the INMO, they're not on strike. SIP2 have taken the decision not to go on strike but a nurse can decide what union they want to be in so I'm imagining if I'm a nurse and I'm with a union that is not striking while the largest union is, you just jump ship wouldn't you to the other union and join the other union. So no uh, if anyone can add further to that but I would not believe that the actual union is, is stopping their nurses from striking as a union, they took the decision not to strike. Paddy says, you'll never get nothing from Fianna Gael. They are the rich man's uh, party. John says, how is Minister Simon Harris, Minister for Health, still in office? He's presided over the survival check scandal and now we're told the Children's Hospital will cost 2 could go up to 2 billion there's something rotten in the state of Denmark to quote the bard says John. Someone else says I pity the sick people who are in hospital and old people when the nurses are out on strike. Well there are nurses working, there's a skeleton staff on in all of the hospitals and actually I heard at one of the hospitals there was an emergency and a patient needed to be transferred in an ambulance and they needed two nurses, whatever I don't know what was wrong with the patient but in order for health and safety reasons they needed two nurses to travel with this patient that they obviously didn't have with the skeleton staff that was on in the ward and they went out onto the picket line and Nobody flinched. Two nurses stepped forward straight away and said we'll go and they went off. So, I mean, they're always, even when they're out on the picket line, they are available in the case of an emergency. So, no, I wouldn't be worried about patients in hospital. I'd be more worried about the patients who's had appointments cancelled and can't get into the hospital than the ones that are actually in there at the moment. Hi, Patricia. The 2008 pay rates... Was when the recession hit, public sector pay was cut, then they had pension levy, and then they had u s c all of that was introduced that 's why they 're paid less today than they were in two thousand and eight. but please note this isn 't just for nurses, all public sector nurses has that happened had that happened to them as well but they all the public sector, including nurses, are all getting a pay increase in March. all of them are the part of the reversal of the austerity era cost-saving measures and all of them are getting and there's about 60,000 well not all about 60,000 public sector workers which includes nurses are getting pay hikes worth about 3,300 on average and they are getting that in March next month they're getting that I mean it includes teachers it includes uh, health workers and nurses in the main, civil servants are getting it, local authority workers are getting it, Defence Force workers and Gardaí. So there is, there is some of the austerity cuts are being reversed in March and that's on top of the 7% pay increase that they're getting, the, this Lansdowne Road Pay deal that's in place until uh, twenty twenty. There's seven percent of a pay rise there uh, as well. What the nurses are looking for is separate uh, to all of that. Okay, that's some of your the your some of your comments coming in. Uh, to do with nurses, eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three, and just quickly a couple of other ones. Uh, in one texter is wondering, are other people paying too much into their pension funds? Most people I know are living on four hundred to five hundred euro, and these are, pen- these are pensioners. They're able to run cars and they're able to have all of their living costs. We were told we all needed big pen- pensions to fund our retirement. Most will be sixty eight when they retire, and people younger at work will be seventy by the time they re- retire with the changes that have been brought in. Surely the state pension plus 50 to 100 euro per week extra will suffice. Investing with companies whose aim is share price and profit is not a better option instead of a no risk secure weekly saving like the post office, uh, like putting money into the post office, taken out of your wages. Are other people stopping and thinking about the money that they're putting into their pension fund? Are, are you fearful that you'll put too much in and of course the danger is if you put too much into your pension and then when you get to pension age and you just you have a nice little pension fund but it might put you just slightly over what you would need say for a medical card and we've heard of people that that's happened to and then you've all of your medical costs and obviously as you get older you have more medical costs. And sometimes by having the bid extra in your pension can work against you rather than in your favour. And Philip says, morning, Patricia. Greetings from West Cork. This is interesting. Today, when we were talking about breast cancer earlier, today is the feast day of the patron saint for those who experience breast cancer. It's a third century saint by the name of Saint Agatha is Sicilian saint Saint Agatha. She's also the patron saint of wet nurses, torture, rape victims, bell founders, jewelers, single lay women, among others. But more importantly for the day that's in it, when we mentioned, particularly that poor woman who I can't get it out of my head—that forty-six-year-old woman who was meant to have her breast cancer surgery today—and you can just imagine what she's going through uh, today. So we think of her and uh, so for anyone experiencing breast cancer there you go the patron saint of breast cancer is saint agatha and yes i was aware yesterday was saint blade's day and blaze pronounced. i wonder how many people went along and got their throats blessed it was something certainly that i very much associate with my childhood we were all sent up to the church. I'm assuming all churches do they all still do the blessing of the throat with the crossing over of the candles that was yesterday for those of you that missed it. 1850 lines open.
1: The C103 Cork Diary.
8: With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses. Supporting communities. Serving Cork. Visit CorkCoco.ie.
3: Sensational kids charity there in Connachilty. They're holding a free speech and language drop-in advice clinic uh, this evening between 6 and 8 in the west Cork. Technology Park, Annam Park, Cara. They will hold a bereavement information evening tomorrow, Wednesday, at twenty past seven in the Clayton Hotel in Silver Springs, in Tivoli. And Annem Cara are for bereaved parents. And the making movies with a mobile phone. The next step group is a group to help eighteen to twenty-five year olds who experience mental health issues and depression. They meet every Wednesday from four from four fifty-five to five fifteen in the Uterian Church on Princess Street in Cork and they're currently focusing on making movies with your mobile phones if you would like to pop in all are welcome the Cork ICSA are hosting a farmers meeting on the future of dry stock farming that's on this Thursday night in the Parkway Hotel in Dunmanway and the event will commence at uh, 8 o'clock and St Luke's Charity are hosting a free course for family members of those diagnosed with dementia it will start on Wednesday March the 6th in the North Ridge. House uh, Education Centre in Mahan and you can contact 021 435944 if you'd like more details or if you want to find out more about the St. Luke's uh, charity and their help with dementia patients. We featured them actually on the programme a couple of weeks ago. 021 4359444. And thank you to people for pointing out that St. Blaise Day was actually Sunday and a number of churches locally including Blackpool Church they were blessing throats as was Drumham they did it after the 7.30 mass because so I, I saw a message thing that I think it was one of the churches in Clon did it yesterday maybe some went for Monday instead of uh, Sunday ok some of your texts in about the nurses strike somebody says there was enough money for their own pay rises. That's the TD's pay rises. This will backfire on them when the next election comes. Mark my words says a texter John in Mill Street says Hi Patricia. In regards to the nurses' strike, isn't it amazing that the whole overspend on the children's hospital was unleashed just as the nurses headed for the picket line, even though the Minister for Health says He heard about the overspend last August but sat on it and waited. Isn't it not very handy to have another financial crisis in the bowels of the health system which needs another review group to report in a few months' time? Maybe by then the nurses might have given up and I bet you the level of overspend won't be as bad as reported today and those in charge will come up smelling of roses in time for a general election next year. Says John in in Mill Street uh, who is coming across Rather cynical today, can I say, John, but a good WhatsApp. Thank you for your at text. Hi, Patricia, hope this message finds you well. It does. I support the nurses 100%. But what about the people in the private sector who had their income reduced since the recession? What about a decent pay restoration for all? Our politicians should hang their heads in shame. That's a West Cork listener. Deirdre says, I support the nurses' strike. The TDs received a hefty pay increase and that's been kept very quiet. Shame on the government. And Dan says, Patricia, a possible solution to all the health service problems. Put back the 1600 beds that we've lost in the system. Pay doctors and nurses properly to keep them. Add that cost to the children's hospital cost about the total amount on an ECB 20 year loan. There you go. Done. Dust it. <laughs> where you get the money, you borrow it and you sort it all out. Thank you for that, uh, Dan. You should be in government. 1850 333 103. John Paul, uh, taking your calls. You can text our uh, WhatsApp 0862 103 103. And John Paul wants me to mention that there is an official Westminster petition this is online. This is it John Paul? This is up online. Calling on Britain to offer Ireland full UK membership and it's gaining signatures in the United Kingdom. It suggests there, this should be, this could be done to solve the impasse over the border issue that's holding up Brexit we're holding up Brexit Um, a heat map shows the majority of signatures have come from Northern Ireland surprise surprise petitions require in a British government response if they hit the 10,000 signatures and it currently has almost 2,600 so if they get to 10,000 then the government have to respond uh, to it so you can go online there folks if you think that that's a good idea that Ireland that Britain should offer Ireland. They'd have to come to us and offer. Would you like to become full UK members and then we'd all leave the EU together? Good luck with that.
1: This is the Court Today replay
3: on C103. Joe Heffernan uh, joining us on this uh, rather wet Tuesday afternoon, even though it's meant to brighten up later on, so hopefully it will. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good
13: afternoon, Patricia. Uh, and,
3: And you're very welcome. Did you get any snow?
13: No. Well, we did. We had one day that we woke up and the place was a complete blanket of white. It was lovely. Yeah. But, um, Lovely
3: if you don't have to go anywhere. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But,
13: yeah. but today now actually is horrible. Today is miserable. <laughs> <Yeah>. There's <laughs> very high wind and a lot of rain uh, in Bohrabri at the moment,
3: but mild at 12 degrees.
13: Very mild. Very
3: mild, yeah, yeah, that's the one thing. Okay, today we are going to talk about sub-personalities and in particular the, the that little thing that were negative, negative thoughts come coming into your head. You talk about the whisper in the ear that's encouraging negative thinking. So it's it's self-talk. What is self-talk?
13: Well, I suppose self-talk is um, the uh, the little messages that we give ourselves Um you know uh like uh, i just can't stand this now would be self talk um, uh, about some particular uh situation that one was in um, or um i won't be able to cope um uh you know uh, uh, the the kind of sub personalities we might talk about would be what people would call like the warrior Um and most people will tell you most people own up, and um that's including my good self um to being a warrior like what what if that happened um like the the old warrior is the the strongest sub personality in people, especially someone who's prone to anxiety um
3: yeah, we'll all do a bit of worrying, but what you're talking about is when you when you worry about everything you take. It's taking it to another level almost.
13: Absolutely. You couldn't put it better. Taking it to another level. Um, uh, imagining the worst case scenario. And kind of like the warrior, then, uh, imagining it now like a little um, thingy on your shoulder whispering in your ear. Um, uh, it scares you like with uh, pictures or fantasies of disaster um, or catastrophe. Uh, when you imagine that you're going to confront something that maybe you fear. It could be a job interview, it could be um uh driving, it could be uh a bit of public speaking, whatever it would be. Um and it like it, it brings in that word catastrophe. Um what what it does really is um three things in a way um it um is 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 underestimates if you like um your your um your ability to cope it it, it tells you that you can't cope uh, it paints a picture of the um the absolute worst light that can happen um it it's not just going to be bad it's going to be awful and uh, so it overestimates the uh, the the bad thing and it under- underestimates your ability to cope. To cope with. It. And,
3: and this is this is not somebody else telling you. This is your own thoughts in this your is head. What
13: we call self-talk. Yeah. Self-talk. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And that's the, the so so there is various sub personalities. That's the, the the warrior. Then there's the critic.
13: And the critic then is one that um uh, you know, it's it, it, it could be old messages. It could be messages from a very critical parent. It could be messages from um, uh, a, a very critical uh, teacher. Uh, but basically, anyway, it's telling you that you're a complete disappointment and that you should have been... That would be one of the favorite words, like with another one, that you should have handled that better um, and that you should have done this and should have done that and that you basically, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, as we'll say in ordinary everyday talk, that you made a bags of it. And, um,
3: and that nothing you could ever do would be good enough.
13: Exactly, exactly. Like, I'm incompetent uh, because maybe I suffer from high anxiety. Um, I'm a burden to those around me. Um god i go to pieces when i when i get a uh, panicky um uh you know i feel like i'm just not able to cope like other people that, that, that kind of thing um and of course it's devastating because it um it exaggerates um uh the negatives and it minimizes the positives and uh it's a bad or lad, critic. Yeah, and
3: it's also devastating because in in 99% of the cases, it isn't true. It's it's just all in your head. You're just, you're convincing yourself.
13: Absolutely. And, and then
3: the next one is the victim.
13: Well, the victim is a really bad fella. The victim is one now that we would want to avoid at all costs. The victim is the kind of one that says, yeah, there's no point in trying because, look, you won't succeed anyway. Um, you know, uh, the yeah, the the... The victim is kind of like I, I, I'll never be able to do this, um, um,
3: and that's the I, one that leads to depression.
13: It, it does, yeah, it it, it does, and um, uh, like it, it's the part of you that feels helpless, or, or hopeless. Um, uh, it tells you you're not making progress. It tells you that you know that you won't succeed um and it has a major major role absolutely patricia you're 100% in creating depression um it's kind of a belief that there's something inherently wrong with me and that therefore like i'm wasting my time trying because i i i won't succeed um uh, it sees all the obstacles like as insurmountable between um uh, me and my goals um, any course I ever did, like I always hit what I call the wall. I kind of took it in my own thinking from, you know, the way they talk about the marathon. Yeah, well, you hit a wall. The well, wall. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I hit the wall in every course I ever did and thought, um, oh, I just can't take this. I'm, I'm going to chuck it. Now, luckily enough, I either changed the thinking to something or met someone or shared it with someone or I had some little bit of positivity.
3: And that kept you going again.
13: And, and I said, you know what? All right, one more day. And, got you back um, on track. Yeah, and yeah. and eventually got the thing finished. But it would have been so easy. Wouldn't have taken an ounce more for me to say I'm out of here.
3: And then what? You live with the regret of not finishing it.
13: Yes, and yeah. um, you know. And that
3: uh, eats away at you.
13: Yeah, and and you know. The, um, uh, the way that a person can feel that they never—what um, wh- would the words be—realised um, their um, potential. Um, but you see, all we have is today. Um, I, 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 when I was doing student counselling in UCC, this lady arrived into me one day, a student. Now, the student was approaching seventy, and she had lived near UCC. And uh, always envied, you know, the people who went to college kind of thing. Yeah. Um, um, you know, that they were a different breed altogether. And here she was. She was delighted with herself. She was studying a course, um, a degree course. I think, she, if I remember, she was in first year um, in UCC.
1: Well done.
13: Yeah, yeah. So, like, the the other thing I suppose we'd have to say is, genuinely, absolutely, it's never too late. Mm-hmm. Do you know?
3: I love hearing those stories of older people who, who, who go away and do degrees. Yeah. Um, question for Joe. Uh, what advice would Joe give for my partner calling me useless? No matter what I do, never changes and constantly putting me under stress. It would be happening at home all the time. Uh, Ni- we're calling him Nile, not his real name. lives with a very dominating partner who is making him feel useless.
13: Well, I mean, you know, that's uh, that's completely out of order. I mean, that's uh, that uh, one would have to b- become assertive. Um, no, I'm not saying roaring and shouting because that won't achieve anything. Um, but to be assertive, to say it like um, you know, things. Eye uh, statements are so important, as we often have said down through the years. You know, I feel very hurt and very upset. When you talk to me like that, I feel that whatever confidence I do have, it just diminishes it. Um, It's not helpful. And um, however badly you might think that I'm doing a thing, it's guaranteed that I'll be doing it an awful lot worse if that's the kind of message that I'm hearing. So a little bit of affirmation, a little bit of praise once in a blue moon... Wouldn't hurt at all. Yeah, you know something like that. Because
3: if you're constantly hearing that, yeah, you, you start to believe it? Do you?
13: You do, yeah. and that brings in then the guy we're talking about, the critic. Yeah, no, and tis um, tis bad enough um, hearing it from outside. No, and and that's not a very that's not a good thing at all to be doing to someone. I mean that's. Um, that's stripping away their self confidence. It's uh, and, it, and it definitely doesn't board well uh, for a future of a relationship because no one is going to take that all the time. They're going to eventually.
3: And and no one should.
13: No one should. Yeah, not no. at
3: all. Uh, Anna says, uh, Patricia and Joe, why are us humans? Why are we made so complex? Oh God, Anna! If we on, if we only knew the answer to that.
13: If we only did. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, as, as I think they made a film called It's Complicated. That's it,
3: that's <laughs> it and then the other sub-personality is the perfectionist
13: Yeah, and the perfectionist like is never happy. The perfectionist is the kind of, I suppose you'd call him a close cousin of the critic um, but the concern isn't so much to put you down than to gorge you to gorge you all the time to, to do better like um, it brings on anxiety um uh, by constantly kind of saying, nah, boy, the efforts you're making aren 't quite good enough you know i mean if if you walk for twenty minutes it'll tell you, well, you should have done a half an hour and uh, and that 's not good enough um uh, so that like um you you're constantly hearing um i should i have to I must and if we could cut out doors a bit of the shoulds and the have and the musts and give ourselves a bit of credit, like, for what we do do. Now, that would mean doing, doing something. Um, I mean, um, you can't be giving yourself credit, like, even for a five-minute walk if you didn't do the five-minute walk. Yeah. So give yourself a bit of reason um, to, uh, to have a bit of self-praise. But um, those lads would want to be silenced. The warrior, the critic, the perfectionist, um, you know, they, 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 they'd want to be kind of given their, mar- given their marching orders um, uh, very often because they, they actually don't help. All they do is promote anxiety. Um, nothing gets achieved by them, but... Uh, The opposite can happen. And then we get into the catastrophic thinking of, like, it won't be just bad, it will be unbearable. It won't be just bad, it will be awful. And, uh, you know, what if I make a fool of myself? Um, You know, um, what what if I... um, What what if this isn't just a bit of anxiety? What if this is a heart attack? Um, uh, What will people think if they notice... um, uh, that I'm anxious, we'll say, in in doing a talk, and 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 that kind of thing, um, you know, and it becomes catastrophic then, um, that um, it will be a complete and utter catastrophe. Um, I'll never um, be able to come from that, and and we need to kind of counter, uh, have counter statements then for these. And, um, and and we could get into that we, maybe next week yeah. about like, what do we do when these lads start to shout in our ear? Because we need to, we need to change something, you know?
3: Somebody says, um, I went to enroll for a massage uh, course, but I, as I was told, I was in my 50s. They actually told me, you, you, you might not get work. It actually upset me.
13: Yeah, I mean, it was a negative... Uh, yeah, before you, even, go. before
3: you even started, yeah.
13: Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, why not do it and yeah. um, and, and see how it goes?
3: And nobody knows the future. Nobody, nobody, can, no, 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 nobody can predict it. No,
13: that would be the, the, the most successful person out of yeah. the entire class yeah. when yeah. it finished up. Absolutely,
3: yeah. and I've been to, I've had massages from people who were uh, in their 50s and older. So, I mean, they're, they're not all massage therapists are... Under 30. Okay, we have to leave it there. Uh, Joe, thank you for that and we'll pick up on this and and do more about countering that negative uh, self-talk. We'll talk more about it next week. Have a lovely week. And the same. And uh, we'll chat again next uh, Tuesday. That is uh, Joe Heffernan. Joe runs a counselling practice in Boho Bui. His number is 02976617. That's where we leave it for today. Thank you to everybody who has contacted us. Apologies if we didn't get to all of your calls and comments uh, on the programme today. But we promise we do read them all when we get off air. Uh, My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. I'll talk to you tomorrow morning at 10. Until then, Patricia